And as you're turning there, I just wanted to uh, hit on a couple of things before we get to the proclamation of God's Word. Uh, first of all, you will, you will notice that um, on the backside of your bulletin there, um, we have decided to um, display there our, uh, like a report of our offering or whatever, just so you can have in mind kind of what our budgetary needs are and what the income is. And if you'll, if you'll turn and look at that, you'll be encouraged. Uh, I was uh, extremely encouraged to see that, that, uh, that the Lord has worked in the hearts of His people, uh, you, to be very generous in, uh, in continuing to give and, and support the ministry. That's been a great encouragement. We wanted you to be able to see that, uh, for you to be able to gauge um, in your own prayer and whatnot, uh, and see that uh, God is at work in your own family, I'm sure, but in the hearts of His people uh, in, in the church as well. So that's something that we want to include, just so you can have a, a point of reference there. Uh, I was very encouraged, and I, I trust that you're encouraged about that as well. Another, uh, another point of um, kind of housekeeping is that, uh, as Andy said tonight, we will begin our evening service again, and we will be starting a new semester. And so we meet uh, across the hall or across the way there in the fellowship hall at 6 p.m., and we'll sing a couple songs, and then we'll go to a time of teaching, and we will endeavor to be done at 7, and we have done pretty well at that in the past, so if we can get the preacher to keep the message short, that, that helps, I understand, in, in theory. So, but, um, so, but the point is, we're going to be tackling this topic of covenant theology. It's uh, been a topic of discussion over the last uh, three or four months, I know that, and we want to take some time and work through that, give an introduction to it. Um, I've got a shelf in my library on covenant theology, so I'm not going to be able to teach it all. Um, but we are going to introduce, we're going to talk about the concepts, um, talk about uh, the, the, uh, whether it's biblical, talk about what it means, uh, and, and, and does it matter. And uh, so that's going to start tonight. I would encourage you to attend. And uh, if your whole family isn't able to attend, um, then it, at least one of you, it would be very uh, helpful, I think, very enlightening uh, for you to um, here on that topic. And so, again, that's tonight uh, at 6 o'clock, and we should be done by 7 o'clock, and, and probably we will spend this entire semester, probably till sometime in December, uh, talking about the topic of covenant theology beginning tonight. So I would encourage you to do that. You've got your Bible open to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And, uh, of course, this is a very familiar passage to everyone. Nothing new and shocking here, but we want to read it and discuss it uh, in our, the topic of our discussion today. But this is God's Word. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. 
It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Let's pray. Father, having read this passage on love, we recognize that we have all too often fallen short of that standard. Even in the, our treatment of those who are nearest and dearest to us, those we would say we love the most, we, we see in this passage that we have often fallen short of that even, much less those that are a greater challenge for us to love, and yet we've been called to do so. Father, as we ponder what that love looks like, and as we ponder how it affects our speech, and even the things we hear and the way we hear things, I pray that you would help us to think well today. I pray that you would work in our hearts that we would love what you love, and that we would hate what you hate. I pray that you would convict us where we need that, that you would comfort us where we need that, and that in all of it you would give us strength. So we pray for your blessing on us in these next few minutes. In Jesus' name, amen. So you'll notice that uh, we are in 1 Corinthians 13 and not Genesis, and that's in large part because as I was reading through the Genesis account, it's a, it's a very... Um, notorious account of the terrible behavior of um, the family of God, really. When you have uh, a mom and her son um, working together to deceive uh, a father and a brother and, and all that goes into that, and, and, and we'll tackle that and we'll tackle that in due time. But as I was thinking about that and just thinking of the, uh, the way... Um, there was such impact upon the family of God by the words that were spoken, by the, um, the conversation that went on. I was struck with our own situation uh, here in, in our time, in our church, in our town. That we live in a small town, and uh, one of the, you know, there are many, many benefits of living in a small town. I've lived in huge towns. I'd rather live in a small town. One of them is that uh, word gets around, and you hear things, even if you don't want to hear things. You can't get away from it. And uh, many of those things that we hear are not good. They are discouraging to us, and they, they perhaps make us think differently about someone or think differently about a situation that we live in a, a context where we hear bad reports. And what I want us to address today is how we deal with those bad reports how we deal with gossip, how we deal with slander. First, what are they? And then, how do they work? How is it that uh, the enemy uses the words spoken uh, in gossip and in slander to wreak havoc in the body of Christ? And then how we can combat that? I don't get the sense that uh, there's any slander... Um, necessarily going out from our midst, but I do think there is slander swirling. 
that nevertheless makes it into our ears in this community? How do we deal with that? How are we to think about that? That's, that's what I want us to, uh, to focus on in our time. How do we deal with that tasty but deadly poison of slander? And so we're going to be looking at a number of passages. So you'll need a pen out and you'll want to take notes. Right? I'm going to read these verses that I go through. I'm not going to take the time to have you turn there because that would be, um, I think that would take too long, but I want you to write it down and I want you to go and check for yourself. All right? I will read it to you. If you can turn there fast enough, if you're lightning fast on your phone to get there, that's fine. I'm not necessarily going to give time for that purpose, but I want you to write it down so that you can go back and meditate on this yourself so that you can see that this is indeed what the Word of God says. And there's going to be a pile of passages, okay? And so I encourage you right now to get your pen out and make sure it's working, have your paper there and ready to go. But first of all, I want us to talk about these topics uh, and discern between slander and gossip. How to discern between slander and gossip. Now, these are very closely related topics. The, the two concepts, there's not a clear separation. This is clearly gossip and this is clearly slander and they're, they're different. No, they, they're very closely uh, related to one another. <clears throat> and sometimes the main difference has to do with how damaging the information is. If it's, if it's you know, did you see his hair today? You know, well, is that really damaging? No, that's not. I mean, it's gossip. That's not really slander, right? Um, slander would be something that would be uh, perhaps more damaging to character uh, or to reputation or position or something like that. Um, so it's kind of hard to define, but we'll do our best. A helpful definition that, of gossip that I've heard, first of all, is uh, the sin of bearing bad news behind someone's back out of a bad heart. Now, that's alliterated so that you can remember that. The sin of bearing bad news behind someone's back out of a bad heart. There's some sort of motive to run that person down in some way. Maybe not a massive way, but in some way, there's something, you get a certain pleasure out of, out of kind of airing this guy's dirty laundry, even though it's not bad laundry necessarily, but you kind of get pleasure from it. You're deriving pleasure at his expense. He's not even there. It's behind his back, and you're bearing some bad news about him. And so, uh, 1 Timothy 5.13, uh, in, in talking about what to do with with, uh, with widows in the church, how they ought to be treated, and, and Paul is encouraging them uh, for young widows to, to go and get remarried and, and, uh, because, because you've got to be careful that uh, verse 13 of chapter 5, that they not learn to be idlers going about from house to house, and not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies saying what they should not, right? That there's a, a carelessness that, that, that threatens to creep into idle conversation that gives way to gossip. You're just chatting, you know, how's the day, and I saw so-and-so at church, and then it's kind of, you know, you noticed his hair was a little funny, so <laughs> that'd be kind of fun to tell so-and-so about. And so you move into that, right? It's just kind of idle chatter that, that kind of goes that direction, kind of gives way to gossip. Or another <clears throat> aspect of gossip that, that has been uh, helpful in our instruction to our children, and I encourage um, each of you to keep this in mind, that Whoever gossips to you will gossip about you. And so someone who brings a, a, a juicy little tidbit to you about someone else, 
is, is eventually going to take some little juicy tidbit about you to others. So whoever gossips to you will gossip about you. Right? Whoever talks to you about someone else will eventually talk to someone else about you. And you can see what that does to trust. When you're talking to someone and, and, and uh, if you were to move into gossip or they move into gossip and you're, it, 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 there's, a, there's, there's a, a strike against the trust in your relationship and there ought to be. The person who will gossip to you will gossip about you. Paul talks about the deadly aspect uh, of this uh, uh, speech, this gossip, when he's writing to the, to the church at Corinth in 2 Corinthians 12, 20. And he's talking about he's going to visit them and he's going to check on these things, he's going to make sure these things have been done, etc., etc. With all the troubles going on there in Corinth, he says in verse 20 of chapter 12, I fear that perhaps I may come, uh, when, I, when I come I may find you not as I wish, that you may find me not as you wish that perhaps there may be quarreling and jealousy and anger and hostility and gossip, slander, conceit, disorder. Right? He's, he's saying, I, I really don't want those things to be the case, but there were certain types of divisions in the church there that he was afraid they would let them fester and continue, and you'd see the destructive nature of what they turn into, that kind of attitude, that kind of behavior that kind of speech, the damage that can have in the local church. And so we might, we might say that that's gossip, right? It's, it's bearing a, uh, bad news behind someone's back uh, with a bad heart. Well, passing on a bad report about someone when you think it's true is gossip, and when you know that it's not true, you've moved on definitely into slander which is our second category that we want to look at. Slander is really where we're going to focus in our time today. Uh, slander is, is very similar to gossip, but it seems to have more of a deliberately harmful intent. It's not just to chuckle about his, his bad hair, but it's more about character. It's intended to give uh, harm in his reputation, perhaps, or her uh, position or others' trust of her. It could be harming in that it's a, a damaging lie, something made up, it's, it's untrue, it could be harmful in that way, or perhaps it could be harmful in that it's, uh, it's the deliberate and intentional sharing of bad information for the purpose of harming that person's reputation. You want to get that information out there so that you can do damage to her. Other people need to know this because they like her and they really shouldn't like her. They shouldn't think well of her, and so I'm going to get this thing out there. You see the harmful intent. Right? It comes from a desire. Why is that? <clears throat> the person saying that, this information needs to get out there because people like her, and they shouldn't like her that much. They, they trust her, and they shouldn't trust her like that. It's really a desire to lower her and raise yourself. It's a desire to exalt, exalt oneself. It's talking another person down. It's almost always behind their back. Alistair Begg uh, defines slander as the unhelpful repeating of stories about the wrongs and offenses of another. It's not, desired, uh, it's not designed to be helpful. It's designed to cause damage, to break a trust. Another interesting thing that uh, Begg observes, uh, Alistair Begg observes about 
slander. He, he says, a slanderous tongue needs two ears that love that information to really work. You see, there are two people involved in the conversation. So that's kind of discerning a little bit between gossip and slander. I don't have a hard line between the two. They're both sin. They're both easy to fall into. One is just, I think, more uh, deadly and dangerous than the other. But we want to move on to our second point here, that, that slander is a deadly poison. It's a deadly poison. And the psalmist in Psalm 50, speaking of the wicked in verses 19 and 20, Psalm 50 verses 19 and 20, He's describing what they're like. He says, remember, he's talking to the wicked. He says, you give your mouth free reign for evil, and your tongue frames deceit. You sit and speak against your brother. You slander your own mother's son. That's what the wicked do. And it's pretty easy sometimes to catch ourselves doing that. But that's what slander is speaking against our own mother's son, against our own brother. We're giving free reign for evil. We'll let our mouth run. James chapter 1 and verse 26 says that it actually reveals our heart. If anyone thinks he is uh, religious and doesn't bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, that person's religious religion is worthless. There's, a, there's an evidence of this is not consistent Slander and that kind of speech is not consistent with Christian character. That person's religion, that person's faith, that person's um, Christianity has, has not affected this area of their lives. Leviticus chapter 19 and verse 16 points out that, that uh, slander victimizes another person. There is a victim of slander. Leviticus 19, 16, you shall not go around as a slanderer among your people, and you shall not stand up against the life of your neighbor, I am the Lord. Now that's all one sentence. Slander is mentioned in the same breath as allowing another to be victimized, standing by and letting another person be victimized. The two are akin to one another. Slander victimizes the person spoken of, and it is inconsistent with the character of God. Also in the Old Testament, Psalm 15 and verse 3, answering the question, who shall dwell on God's holy hill? He who does not slander with his tongue and does no evil to his neighbor, nor takes up a reproach against his friend. Slander is an insult, it's a slur, it's an evil against a neighbor, according to this verse. And again, my point here is to, to show for us the deadly poison that is slander. Having defined a little bit what it is, let's see what damage it does. That's what we're trying to do. And we've learned that it's insulting, it's an evil against our neighbor, that it, it has a victim, that it evidences aspect of our character that is inconsistent with Christianity, that it's actually something the wicked do. That's the nature of slander. Well, where does it originate? I mean, where does it come from? Well, Jesus speaks to that in Matthew 15, verses 19 and 20. For out of the heart come certain things, evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, 
we would, we would recognize those things as being clearly evil. And the next word is slander, coming from the same source. These are what defiles a person, Jesus said. Alongside murder and adultery, slander is a defiling evil that springs from the heart. This is the nature of this slander that, that I'm talking about. And again, I, I want to be very clear that I'm, I'm, I'm trying to help us deal with the, the, the swirl, perhaps, of, of slander and gossip that goes around. Now, you, you may be oblivious to um, uh, you know, all the things that, have, that are being said in this community. Maybe you're not as plugged in as some people. Uh, some of us have lived here a long time, and we hear a lot of things in this small town, and we hear them about our church, we hear them about people that we love, people we care about, perhaps we hear them about things about people we, we love a little bit less and care about a little bit less, and those are the ones that are easy to listen to, right, and kind of latch on to, but my point is I, I want us to identify and understand the nature of slander itself. Without, uh, without dealing, we're going to talk about uh, how, how to deal with it in a minute, but what's it like and what does it do? It's deadly. It's just deadly. It originates in the heart. Ephesians 4, 29 through 32 says it's grievous to the Holy Spirit. Romans 1, 28 through 32 in that downward spiral of Romans chapter 1 where we get to the end of what wickedness looks like when, when, when God has allowed it to, to, to uh, show itself and, and, and fester. What, there's a whole litany there of what, these, what, what sin looks like. And in, in the midst of that litany of this terrible sin that is God allowing sin to fester in, in, in people's lives, you find slander and gossip in that list, right alongside murder and these other terrible things. I don't think we give uh, appropriate place to gossip and slander. The power of the tongue that we need to understand how serious it is that, that when, we, when we encounter these things or we hear about these things or, or, or when, we, when we brush up against these things, that we're brushing up against poison, poison, something that will kill us, something that is deadly. Well, how does it work? Point number three, how does this poison work? You know, you would think, well, once I realize something's poison, I'll just stay away from it. Uh, you know, if, if uh, I'm not going to, you know, go drink cyanide or, or something like that, I'm not going not to go lick some nasty, um, you know, deadly poison or whatever. But if you put a little sugar in it, you know, I'm, I might be <laughs> more likely to give it a shot. And for those of you who know about nutrition, you know that sugar is a little bit like that. Actually, itself is a poison. It doesn't do much positive and it does a whole pile of harm. But it tastes really good is the point. So I don't mind having it. Yeah, I know it's deadly. I know it's not, not good for me in any way, but, but I like it. I have a taste for it. And that's, that's what we read in, in, uh, in uh, Proverbs 26 and verse 22. It is a delicious morsel, slander is. It's not, it's not nasty and stinky. We've, I've talked about it so far as if it were nasty and stinky and, and easy to identify, and now that I've identified it, I'll never brush up against that again. I will steer clear of that. I'm not going to let anyone say anything like that to me. I'm certainly not going to be involved in it myself, right? But, but it's a delicious morsel. It's, there, there's, there's something appealing about it. Proverbs 26 and verse 22, the words of a whisperer are like delicious morsels. 
they go down into the inner parts of the body. We open up and accept it. It's especially sweet, it's delicious to consume, and it has a, a deep, if unseen, impact on the person who ate it. It goes deep into the body. We take it right in. We fall for this. This is, this is how the poison works. But then what does it do once it's there? Proverbs 16, verse 28, a dishonest man spreads strife, and a whisperer, listen, a whisperer separates close friends. What can whispering do? I mean, it's just some harmless chatter. It's just, you know, a story that I heard. It's not really that big a deal. And it was, it was a little bit sweet. It was a little, it, it kind of it went down easily. And what's the result? Separates close friends. It separates. And the parallelism here, in the, the Hebrew poetry of, of 1628, the parallel... Uh, parallel section here in this, in this sentence, a dishonest man spreads strife and a whisperer separates close friends. The parallelism indicates that the whisperer is someone who destroys lives. Whispering breaks friendships and it destroys lives. It's, it's more than detrimental. It is deadly, destructive. Separates close friends. Proverbs 25 and verse 23 says that it it also produces anger. The north wind brings forth rain, and a backbiting tongue, what does it bring forth? Angry looks. It keeps anger stirring. It causes the development of some kind of anger where there had not been before, but this north wind had blown. This, this slanderous speech uh, came, this backbiting tongue, and what does it produce? It produces anger. It's deadly. So maybe it's possible that if you're struggling with anger, it might be that you have been listening to a backbiting tongue. Somewhere in your circle, there, there may be this north wind blowing to keep the anger on a simmer. It's even possible, perhaps, that that's you. It's harmful. One Puritan said it this way. He is talking about the tale-bearer, the person who carries on the message, the gossip, the slanderer. He says, the tale-bearer has the devil in his tongue, and the receiver has him in his ear. The thief does send one only to the devil, meaning there's, there's one victim of the thief. The adulterer, two, and the slanderer hurts three. Himself, the party to whom, and the party of whom he tells the tale. There's insight there. How deadly, how devastating is tale-bearing, is gossip and slander. And so, how does the poison work? What, what does it result? What does it do? What does it accomplish? Well, first of all, it's easy to take in. It's like a spoonful of sugar helps the slander go down. The result are ruined relationships and damaged lives Persistent anger, frustration, those are the results. That's how it works. So far, nothing really new probably, but I want to focus our time uh, on this last section, the antidote. And hopefully I've given you enough play, uh, spot there in your, 
in your outline, you're going to need about 11 points. I don't normally make lists. My wife knows I'm not a giant list person. But I made a list of 11 antidotes, ways to fight against this. Number one, simple, don't whisper. Don't be a whisperer. Proverbs 26, verses 20 through 21, for lack of wood, the fire goes out. And where there is no whisperer, quarreling ceases. As charcoal to hot embers and wood to fire, so is a quarrelsome man for kindling strife. Whispering keeps the quarrel going, so don't whisper. Don't be a whisperer. I've seen videos of this. I've never seen it in action, which I'm happy about, where there will be, there will be like a wheat field, and it's laid on into the fall, and so it's starting to dry out, and, and then there's a fire. And the fire, of course, would love to eat that whole wheat field, right? And you see this fire crawling across this wheat field, depending upon how strong the wind is, maybe it's running across this wheat field. And so the, from the bottom of the frame on the video, you see the farmer in his tractor, and he's got the disc down, and he is hightailing as fast as he can. And he is cutting across there. He's disking across in front of the fire. Why is he doing that? Like, you can see them get close to the fire, and he's kind of risking a lot of things, but he's, 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 he's making a fire break. He's making a, a dead place where the fire can't go beyond that. Folks, be that dead place. Don't whisper. Don't carry it on. Don't, don't, don't carry the fire from this place to that place. Instead, be that fire break yourself. Don't be a whisperer. Second, don't be a consumer of slander. Another Puritan has put it this way, there would not be so many to broach false rumors, but that they see this liquor pleases other men's tastes. People like it. That's why it spreads. So don't like it. Don't be a consumer of slander. Recognize what it is and don't consume it. Thirdly, think about what you hear. Think about what you hear. James 1.19, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak and slow to anger. Thomas Watson says this about the credulous man or the gullible man. He says, a credulous man is akin to a fool. He believes all that is told him. And this often does create differences. As it is a sin to be a tale-bearer, so it is a folly to be a tale-believer. Slow to speak, slow to anger. A wise man, uh, Watson continues, a wise man will not take a report at the first bound, but will sift and examine it before he gives credit to it. Think about what you hear. Be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. So how do we do this? How do we think about what we hear? Well, if a person comes to you with a bad report about another person, send them on to that person to talk about it rather than you. Why do you need to be the middleman? If person A has something bad to say about person C and they go to person B, person B needs to say, you need to talk to C. I've got nothing to do with this. Send them on to the person the story is about. 
Secondly, if a person has not or will not go with her complaint to the person she's telling the bad story about, stop her and tell her you don't want to hear it. Now, that makes for an awkward conversation, doesn't it? When you stop a conversation, mid-conversation, sorry, I, I think this is slander and I, I don't want to hear it. I'm not going to participate. It's an awkward conversation, perhaps, but you were doing the right thing, and that is a, a clear way to set up a fire break, at least in that relationship. Thirdly, if a bad report has raised a doubt in your mind about someone's character, so if the poison has gotten in and the whispering has separated the friends, created the doubt in your own heart, if it's done its work, it's raised a doubt in your mind about someone's character, go yourself to that person and find out what that person has to say. Don't let the doubt simmer. I think sometimes we might listen and think about, we're trying to ponder to see whether this is true, we're thinking about what it is that's been said, and we don't recognize that over time as we're thinking about this thing, that rumor, that, that gossip, that slander has actually begun to form our opinions about someone. So that down the road, you have a completely different opinion about, about someone than you did six months ago. And what has changed? Well, you heard this thing and you pondered it for six months. The person hasn't changed. The relationship hasn't otherwise changed. Circumstances haven't changed. Your thinking has changed. So go to that person. Don't let doubt simmer. Think about what you hear. Fourth, avoid whisperers. This also may, difficult, may be difficult. 2 Timothy 3, verses 1 through 5. I'm not going to read the whole thing here, but 2 Timothy 3, verses 1 through 5. Paul says, In the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money. He goes on, they will be unappeasable, slanderous. And then he concludes the paragraph with these instructions. Avoid such people. Avoid whispers. There may, there may come a point where you realize that this person is someone I need to avoid. That I've, I've uh, tried to avoid conversations that are gossipy in nature, or that are slanderous. Uh, I've tried to um, confront them perhaps when those things come up. I've, I've said, I, I believe this is slander. I believe this is gossip. I'm not going to participate. Don't tell me about it. But this continues to happen. There comes a point when you need to avoid that person. That's what Paul would have us do in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 5. Avoid whisperers. And fifth, think about what you say. Third was think about what you hear. Fifth is think about what you say. James chapter 4 and verse 11. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. You think it's no big deal to speak evil against a brother, but there is more at stake. Think about what you say. It is so easy to slip into talking bad about someone else. It's so easy. You can be the third sentence in before you even realize what you're doing. Think about what you say. Sixth, practice restraint. Proverbs 10, verses 18 through 19, the slanderer is a fool. The one who restrains his lips is prudent. Restrain your lips. Be prudent. 
Be aware of your own tendency, your own temptation, even, even what starts from a good heart, but just because it's a little juicy and the conversation would be more interesting if I were to move off into this topic. Boy, I know something. I've heard something, right? That would make for a better conversation. Be prudent. You may just need to bite your tongue. Number seven, put away slander as sin. Realize that it is sin. Realize that it is consistent with the behavior's characteristic of your old self before Christ. It is a behavior that is consistent with your sinful nature. Colossians 3 and verse 8, But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Those things are characteristic of your life before Christ, characteristic of the natural man in his fallen state and unredeemed. So put that away from you. Put it behind you as sin. Number eight, open your Bibles and, and do this time. Don't just write it down. 1 Timothy 5.19. 1 Timothy 5.19. So Paul writing here, and this is uh, one of the pastoral epistles. He's writing to Timothy, who is a young pastor. Paul is giving him instruction. This is the inspired word of God that he is writing to his young protege to help him in the ministry, to give him instruction for how he is to govern, how he is to set up and run this church in Ephesus, and what is to go on. And what does Paul say to young Timothy? Number 19, verse 19, do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. I, want, I wanted you to have your Bible open reading that so that you would, you would see that I didn't make it up, first of all, and you would understand that it is not self-serving that I read it. Paul says here there is an extra safeguard for the elders of the church that Timothy is to have in place, that all churches are to have in place. Why is that? Is it because, is it because uh, to protect the elders? No. No, not ultimately. It's to protect the church. Elders are the ones entrusted with preaching and teaching God's word to the congregation. We speak God's word to the congregation. The Bible is God's Word. Our task is to teach it to you, to preach it to you, to help you understand it, to bring God's Word to God's people. That's the task elders have been given. And slander against those who are communicating God's Word puts a wedge of doubt and suspicion between God's people and God's Word. We who have been entrusted with teaching and leading God's people in understanding and practicing God's word. There, there, when there is slander allowed, when there is slander received against an elder, not only is it offense, an offense to the elder, and that's, that's its own thing, but oh well. But the damage done to the church. When I stand up here and preach as an elder, if there's a question in your mind, it's called poisoning the well. There's been a doubt placed in, in the, 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 the congregant's mind well, I know he says that, but I've heard this about him. And so, see, the Word of God is stopped up. The communication, the teaching of God's Word that elders have been called to do is hindered when, 
that well is poisoned. And so Paul says in light of that, don't, don't receive a charge against an elder unless there are two or three witnesses. You've got to establish this thing. And by the way, that doesn't even prove it. That just brings it to consideration, two or three witnesses. Because the communication of God's word to God's people is what is at stake. And we who are in the ministry understand when we came into the ministry that this was part and parcel with being in ministry, is that you will, you will have things said against you and said about you. It's not about protecting us. It's not about protecting me or my, uh, uh, my, my position or any of that. It's about protecting the church. Paul's concern is for the church, that they would not let any idle report or gossip or slander mute the voice of the elders in the hearing of the people, that the well not be poisoned. And so you protect that well. You guard it cautiously. Because not to do so is to allow God's people to be cut off from the ministry of God's word to them. And that's what Paul's concern in is. And that's, that's what our concern is. And so that's why we offer ourselves at the end of the service. Come and talk to us. These, these things may be disturbing you. You've heard something, you, whatever. You, you've, there's something in the wind and it's disturbing to you. It's concerning to you. Come to us and talk to us. Well, how do you respond when you're slandered against? When you are the one who is slandered, how do you respond? Number nine, keep a good conscience. And this is sort of a preemptive way. Keep a good conscience. 1 Peter 3.16, have a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. A preemptive way to, to guard against slander or to respond in advance to slander is to live in a way where your conscience is clear. It doesn't mean living perfectly. None of us does that. But, but it, it means living in such a way where there's nothing that anyone could say about you. No charge that could be brought against, against you. you. When you hear a charge, you say, well, I'm sorry that you heard that slander because that's not true. Number 10, be kind. When you are slandered against, be kind. 1 Corinthians 4, 12 and 13. When reviled, Paul says, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. And when slandered, we entreat. We don't retaliate. We entreat. We respond in a kindly manner. We're trying to win that person over. That's how you respond when you have been slandered against. Realizing that the person who has slandered against you has, has eaten this poison. And the poison has gone deep down into them and is having its effect in them. They are not your enemy. This is a person who is suffering from the effects of having imbibed poison. So be kind and entreat them. Try to win them over. Try to minister to them as best you can from your position. You're not admitting these things are true? No. You're just recognizing someone has been deeply affected by the slander that they have spread. Finally, number 11. Love them. 
That's why we started in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. To turn there as we close. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, this great chapter on love. And by the way, when you read it and when you study it, you find surprising facts about it. It is love, biblical love, is not our culture's definition of love. Here is a description of what love is like. And I want to look particularly, starting at verse 4, 1 Corinthians 13, starting at verse 4, love is patient and kind. How can you love this person who has slandered you? How can you love this person perhaps who is gossiping about you or be patient and kind? What does that cost you? Maybe a little bit of pride. <laughs> maybe, maybe a little bit of revenge that, that in your weaker moments you might like to get. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. And who doesn't have it in their heart to be rude in that moment? When someone has, has spoken that way about you, when they've told those, those damaging things about you, they've, they've lied about you, Boy, that kind of gets your back up a little bit and you kind of want to fight a little, don't you? But that's not what love does. The love that we are to show as Christians is not arrogant and it's not rude and it does not insist on its own way. It's not a fight. We're not entering into a fight that we're going to win. That's not the point. We're seeing this person who has slandered us as as someone who, who needs to repent, someone who needs to be ministered to. The enemy in this situation is the enemy, by the way, whose name can be translated slanderer. This person before you is not your enemy. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. I'll say that again. It's not irritable. Or resentful. That's love. Doesn't rejoice at wrongdoing. So someone has slandered about you, they've said bad things about you, spread stories and, and whatever, and, and then you hear that they they did something wrong. <laughs> that's the that's the winning strike right there, right? No. You're not rejoicing at wrongdoing. It was wrongdoing does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Rejoices with the truth. So even that person who has slandered about you, when you find out that perhaps they've changed their view on that thing and they realize that what they said about you was not true, great. That's wonderful. Here's the kicker. How do we treat others? How do we think about other people? How do we think about other Christians? This is worth meditating on the rest of the day, the rest of the week. How can you tell if you are loving another person? How can, you, how can you tell if this Christian that you've been commanded to love that you are actually loving? Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. 
In other words, love believes the best about that other person. Love gives the benefit of the doubt. Even when slander is spoken against you, your task is to love that person. And so you want to do these things that we've talked about and you're really hoping that the reason they spread that slander was because they had been convinced that it was true and other circumstances made it so that they're not really just uh, conniving to cut your feet out from under you. Give the benefit of the doubt. Love does that. Love between, between a, a husband and wife. You know, your spouse says something that, well, that was a little curt. Uh, why? why? You, have, you have two options. It's because he's just a jerk. He just liked that. I bet he was, you know what I mean? Like you go down that road, or the other one is, I bet he's having a rough day. Or maybe he just didn't mean to say it that way. I've got two options. I can give the benefit of the doubt, and by the way, that's what love does. Or I can, I can go for the, the attack. In the same way with you and me, and the way we love one another. Will we give the benefit of the doubt? Will we bear all things, believe all things, hope all things, endure all things? For the sake of one another, for the sake of Christ, our Savior. So, number 11, love them. Love them. Jesus gave his own life to save sinners like us. Even knowing our own proneness to do and say these things, to behave in exactly this way. That in my worst moments, I can do these things too. I can think this way and say uh, things like that. These things are among the sins that Jesus died for. In Christ, we have been forgiven them. Praise Jesus for that. Because these things, Jesus said, they, they're, not, they're not surface level things. This isn't like some little thing on your skin that showed up and it was kind of unappealing to look at. No, it stems right from the heart of who we are. And that's why it's so deep-rooted and that's why it's so evil. And it's revelatory of our own thinking. And even those sins, Jesus gave himself for. Praise God for that. And now, we who have been forgiven much, We who have been forgiven those very things, first of all, let us be forgiving. And second of all, realizing how hateful they are to God and damaging they are to, to the, the church, let us put them away. Let's avoid them. Let's recognize them for their deadly nature, recognizing how damaging they are to the bride of Christ how offensive they are to Christ himself. And let's put them away. Determine not to subject yourself to hearing slander anymore. Don't listen to it. It's deadly not just to the person saying it, but to you. It poisons the heart. It sinks right down in, and it's easy to hear, and it's easy to listen to, and, it's, and, and it kills you. 
It separates friendships. It destroys churches. It causes harm. Restrain yourself from passing on any slander that you might have heard, and certainly don't start any yourself. This isn't just an out there thing. I think in, in our situation right now, it's, it's, it's largely an out there thing, but it's not, is it? It's not only an out there thing. We're all capable of doing that exact thing. We have the capacity in ourselves in a, a weak moment to do exactly that same thing. So restrain yourself from passing on any slander or certainly from starting it yourself. And if you have been slandered, first of all, know that your Lord was slandered far worse. And He bore that for you. Among the offenses, among the suffering that Jesus willingly took on Himself was to live in this world where He, the Prince of Glory, would be slandered like a dirt bag. Why did He undertake that? part of his suffering that he undertook for you, for your sin. Be gracious and patient and loving, knowing that you have probably done worse yourself. And you have found forgiveness in Jesus. And so let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. We can be forgiving because we have been forgiven. And for us to withhold forgiveness is to forget entirely about what it is we've been forgiven of. So let's forgive. And let's be wise and wary of those readily available, enticingly delicious yet terribly deadly and destructive poisons called gossip and slander that swirl all around us. So folks, let's be cautioned. Let's be aware of the danger of the tongue. Certainly the tongue out there, certainly uh, the, the things that we hear, but even our own capacity and the way we think about one another reveals the presence or the absence of love for one another. And we get to have love for one another because Jesus has saved us. We have been forgiven and brought into His family as the very body of Christ. And so let's love one another. Let's pray. Father, we have looked at a number of passages on a number of uncomfortable and difficult and uh, painful topics, particularly about our tongue, how we use it, and our ears, how we use them, and our minds, how we use them. Father, I pray that you would bless your children in Churchill County. Help us to speak the truth in love. Help us to love one another even as we've read in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We recognize that we need growth in this area. That it is all too easy to bear a grudge, to hold that grudge and to let it begin to seep out in different ways. 
Father, forgive us, we pray. And empower us by your Spirit, reminding us of what your Son has accomplished, that we would seek all the more to love one another, to love all those, uh, particularly those Christians around us. May we show great love indeed, the love that is yours, that you empower in us by your Spirit. It is ultimately for our good that we do so, and it is ultimately for your glory as well. We thank you for Jesus who bore our sins in his body on the tree. May we be quick to give that forgiveness to those around us as well. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. There's going to be a family down front who would love to pray with you, and I'm going to be down front as well. Uh, if, you, if you need to come and talk to me, I, w- I would love to chat with you. God bless you all, and you are dismissed.